0: Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Tuesday, August 4th of 2020. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you join us today, and we greet all our listeners from wherever you're tuning in, and we are always grateful that you could spend this time with us studying the precious Word of God. As always, um, we are always, as I always say, we are privileged. It's always a privilege to be able to come and be here with the panel. Uh, today we have Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, and Brother Jeremiah joining us together and studying the Word of God. As So before I pass it to Brother Marty, we've just, we just been on such a journey in these last few weeks, uh, studying and gleaning from these uh, passages in the book of John of 20 and 21, and we've been learning how, uh, John speaks in such a, um, what it's what it is. It's such a mystical way, <laughs> spiritual way of seeing things. And, and we've been learning, uh, just about his heart. And he was the disciple that Jesus said that was close, that he was loved. He was loved. And, um, and so we get to see the insight that John really had. In in that closeness with Jesus Christ. So as we continue to study the word of God today, Brother Marty, uh, we'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the word of God together.
1: Amen. Uh, Pastor
0: Jeremy, I, uh, before we get into the word today,
1: I was wondering if you could lead us in a little prayer here. Um, there's two little girls. One is named Cora and one is named Eliana. Um, we received a prayer request for for both of them uh, this morning. Uh, little Cora is, uh, I don't know exactly how old she is. She looks like she's about four or five years old. Um, but she's battling cancer. And she's been uh, having to deal with, I think, chemotherapy. And she they did some surgeries on her, and apparently she was good for a while, but uh, they checked her into the hospital, it looks like, today as her iron has fallen dangerously low, and uh, she has no appetite, you know, and she's just little, and she needs prayer, and her parents, too. Um, I don't know their names, but I know Cora's name. And then the other one is Eliana, who just uh, had to go to the emergency room a couple days ago. Uh, She almost uh, uh, choked on some, some stuff she ate. I don't know exactly what it was, carrots or something like that, but it got into her lungs. But we're praying for her. Uh, these are two little children that uh, that really need our prayers this morning. So would you just lead us in a quick prayer for them uh, before
0: we? I sure would. You know, anybody who's a parent and you've ever had to go to a hospital, that's one of the toughest things. You know, to go through these yeah. things with 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 children, it's, it's it's tough. And I could just imagine, you know, as we pray for Ileana and, and uh, Cora, we'll be praying also for their family their fathers or mothers. It's 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 tough. It's tough. These situations and uh it's debilitating. I, I know what I'm speaking about when I say these things. But um the only thing that we can rely is really on the strength of the Lord. Amen. So I think uh join us together right now as we pray. To join us in faith and let us believe that um God will will do what, what he can do. Hallelujah. He is the healer. And he is the one who has, can change anything, even if it seems impossible. So let us pray. Father, this moment we come before you, God, acknowledging, Lord, the fact, Lord, that you are the healer, God. Lord, as these needs uh, have been presented before us today, we we lift up Ileana and we lift up Cora. Lord, the challenges that they are enduring in this hour and their physical bodies, Lord, only one can imagine lord the 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 desperation that the parents may feel in this hour, so we're praying number one, God that you would strengthen their families, strengthen mom, their mom, their dad, father in this hour, strengthen them right now, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And Father, above all, we pray for Ileana and Cora that your healing power will flow over them, God. Father, whatever is, 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 uh, is impeding in, in Ileana's body right now, God, that, uh, that, I, that you would allow that thing to, to flush down, flush out of her lungs, flush out of wherever it is, Lord, that she can better, um, breathe that she can better uh, eat, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray and lift up Cora, God. Father, the, the treatments that she's been under, Lord. Father, we plead the blood of Jesus over her little life, God. Somehow, Lord, as you always do, Lord, that you will be glorified. That you will be glorified, God, in this hour. That you will give, Lord, the doctors whatever uh, the wisdom that they need in this hour. But above all, we trust you. Because you are the doctor of doctors, God. There is nothing impossible for you, God. I know that you still are the God that heals, Lord. So right now, God, we ask you, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, operate a miracle in this hour right now. We join together as the saints of God, wherever they're listening. We're coming together to you, pleading to you, and asking on behalf of Korah, On behalf of Eliana and Father, that in the next days, we will receive Lord a praise report. Hallelujah. That we will receive Lord, Lord, a report, a testimony that God has heard the prayers of his people. Your word says in James that the fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much God. So we pray believing that you alone are able to do Lord, what you're, what you, what, whatever we ask in your name, according to your will, it shall be done. We thank you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And, Lord, and anybody else, Lord, who is listening, that is struggling with a sickness, struggling with a problem, with a situation, Lord, Father, meet their needs today, Lord. Meet their needs right now, this hour, God. And that nothing will hinder the word of God today as we get ready to go into it, Lord that nothing will hinder what you want to say and speak to us today. we we'll give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.
1: <clears throat> praise God.
0: Thank you, brother.
1: And, uh, and now as we get into the Word of God today, we're continuing where we were uh, yesterday in John chapter 21. Uh, we began in the uh, fourth verse. And, Brother Jeremy, I'm going to ask you if you would read again once again to us in John 21 verse 4 through 7, and we'll begin our, our study today. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to dry for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea
1: praise the lord so we're going to we're going to hopefully get through the uh, the rest of this story today um uh, and we'll see but one of the things that my attention was drawn to this morning uh was where uh John wrote Simon Peter uh put on his coat gird himself with his coat and cast himself into the sea so hopefully we can get to that today and, uh, and and actually finish up in verse 12. But uh, I want to just review a little bit of what we've been talking about uh, yesterday. We encourage you to go back and listen to the last several podcasts. For those of you that are just joining us, uh, it's our custom to encourage you to have your Bibles with you so you can follow along. And we are exploring deeper things in the Word of God. As Brother Jeremy said, much of what, uh, if not all, of what the Apostle John wrote in his Gospel uh, while they are all uh, blessed and, and anointed, of course, it's all the word of God. There's something unique uh, to John's gospel that um, it really—you—you uh, you would exhaust yourself in exploring the depths by which he wrote. It's John who recorded in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and that carries with it, uh, you know, the understanding of John writing such things as that in the book of Revelation. It, it kind of gives us an insight into the way that that the Lord communicated to him, the way the Spirit of God revealed Jesus to him, and and also subsequently how, if we're discerning enough, we can take that principle and and line it up or apply it to the way that we interpret Scripture. Scripture comes in in, in its in its uh, you know plain sense, what's written on the page, historically speaking is completely accurate but beyond that beyond just the, the stated narrative the, the 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 basic sense of what's being said in in any given uh record of what they went through in the gospels and throughout the scripture really um you will find that as you go deeper into the things of god that beneath the surface of the obvious are treasures um, that can only be unlocked uh as you apply uh understanding from the perspective of, of the lord jesus christ we saw that earlier in our study when we were talking in uh, about the resurrection day and when they came to the late afternoon there's an account there of jesus appearing uh to two people cleophas and his wife walking on the road to emmaus and in that we saw that the lord uh it's recorded by john that he opened their understanding of the scriptures Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he said in all the scripture, he revealed himself to them. And so it's it's very fascinating because with that in mind, that is how we approach scripture. We look for Christ. We look for uh, the testimony of Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19.10. And that's what we've been seeing. And and we we really don't, <clears throat> we can't go back over the last 14 podcasts and begin to lay the foundation again. So that's why we encourage you to go and, and, and check out the last several podcasts, especially the last three or four, as we're dealing with the 21st chapter, from the perspective of what is hidden by John in the way that he recorded the history of the events that we've been exploring. As we saw, and brothers, I encourage you to jump in as we go along as always as we saw in verse 3 we were talking about how the disciples go forth to fish and the way that john uh wrote it uh he pays incredible uh, amount of attention to the detail by which he's expressing himself and these are meant to be insights for us who are looking for what it is that he is actually saying and and revealing to us at a much more profoundly, prophetically deep level. And so when we get to the third verse, as we discuss, what we have here is they're fishing on a, on, a, on a sea that's called the Sea of Tiberias. It's really the lake or the Sea of Galilee. But John triggers our attention by the Holy Spirit to pay attention to how he Romanized the Sea of Galilee. He changed its name for his final chapter and called it the Sea of Tiberias. And we related uh, scripture with scripture uh, and and what that literally means. The sea in, in, in the scripture represents people's multitudes, languages, and nations. And so going to go fishing on the sea, it was as if he was telling us and what he was about to unfold to us was a scenario that we needed to pay attention to. The fact that he references the sea and then he names it after a Roman Caesar, Tiberius, it's quite possible that what the Holy Spirit was hiding and, and yet concealing only to be revealed as we apply these, these principles we're talking about, that he's referencing the end of time, the nations and the peoples of the world, and that future Antichrist system and, and global system that will emerge as predicted in the book of Revelation. Why do we say that? Because he calls it the Sea of Tiberias, changing the name from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of Tiberias, therefore leaving us a hint that what's about to follow in the, re, in the remaining narrative is, is, is an unfolding revelation um, written 2000 years ago uh, of what would happen at the end of time. He declares the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And so what we see in verse two is we see he, he specifically identifies seven disciples that get in a ship and go fishing. We know that the number seven in the book of Revelation represents the churches, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Seven is the number of the church. And seven is also the number of the angels of the church, the stars that are in Jesus' right hand. And so in many ways, as we dig into this, the seven that go on the ship can represent the seven angels, if you will, or the seven messengers, the seven pastors of a fully grown and developed church that finds itself on the sea at the end of time, which is a sea, by the way, being dominated by, by, the, uh, by a revived Roman-type system, a global empire headed by a single uh, personality, which we know as the Antichrist, and ruling the sea of that time. And so we see, prophetically speaking, that they set off, as John revealed. And then he draws our attention in verse 3 that the time that they went out was at night— And he he identifies it not just as any old night, but a specific night. He says in verse 3 that Simon Peter says to them, I go fishing, John 21, 3. And he says, and and they said to him, we'll go with you. And so they went forth and they entered into a ship immediately. And that night, John draws our attention to a specific night. And he says, they caught nothing. And as we looked in our previous podcast and 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 uh, and put forth in our studies to those that are listening, the word that night or night in the Greek, uh, uh, the original Greek meaning of the word night is midnight. It's not just any old night. It, it, it references a midnight. Now, those who understand the kind of symbolism that the Bible uses, therefore, it adds even more flavor to our understanding of what John's beginning to set the tone and draw our meditative process and understanding toward. He wants us to understand that in this historical account that he's giving us, he's actually, the way he's writing it and the way that Jesus begins to appear and did appear in this third time to his disciples, as we'll see here in a second, it's referencing something far greater and far deeper than than just the surface narrative. The history is true, but the way the history unfolded has prophetic implications, so it's at a midnight season that they go out onto the sea, a sea dominated by Tiberius, the Roman Empire, so to speak, or in our case, as we look at it now two thousand years later, that coming antichrist and world system and what he's inferring here is is that <clears throat> is that they caught nothing at that time, and we've been discussing this. Uh, as it pertains to the leadership of the church and the church itself, and and some of the things that quite possibly are being revealed here, are things that we need to pay attention to as we as we come closer and closer to the things the Scripture is predicting are just ahead of us, which will ultimately culminate with the return of the Lord. And so at that night, at that midnight hour, what he's what he's telling us is that it will be uh there will be the the same methods and modes the same uh, ways that we've gone about evangelizing, for example, because that's what fishing is a type of, right? Catching fish. John points out here that it's this particular season or at that night, nothing was caught. And we discussed that. And it's important to understand that because as we continue to go forward into the midnight that has either already begun or is just about to begin, in our time. And I think it's begun, honestly. Uh, What what John is revealing here and what he wants to alert not only the church, but the leadership of the church to, is that the same old way that you've done things in the past are no longer going to bear fruit. Such is the nature of midnight, is that the darkness that is coming upon the world, the system that's emerging, the enslaving of entire nation states and populations dominated by a prophesied Antichrist will make it as such that you will not be able to to engage in in, in ministry in the same way. Mm-hmm. The intent to fish is good, but understanding the times takes precedent over that and what the Bible is revealing. Now, we talked about verse 4 yesterday, and I encourage you to go back and listen to verse 4. Verse 4 says, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know it, and they didn't know that it was Jesus. And we we talked about yesterday that that morning that John references in verse 4 is specifically um, the time between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning. It's the darkest part of the night. It's, it's well into the midnight season. What's interesting is it's halfway between midnight and the breaking of the day. Why that's interesting is because the Bible, and again, we're looking at this in very metaphoric and, and symbolic type language to understand prophecy. Now listen, why that's interesting that it's between three and six, the, the beginning point is three o'clock, which is, which is the middle Of the night and what's interesting is the bible seems to indicate that the rise of this antichrist and the antichrist system will be as some of the scholars and and fathers of old have told us a seven-year period a seven-year period known as the tribulation but then the bible goes on and says that when we reach the middle point of the tribulation it shifts and and then becomes what is known as the great tribulation
0: the last three right. and a half years of human history, right? So right. I, I put that out. Go ahead, brother. What are you gonna say? No, I'm saying no, right? Yeah, that that's a good distinction you're making, brother. Because a lot of people just assume the Great Tribulation is all of the seven years. But mm-hmm. I think what you just said right now is it's the Bible really mentions uh, is it, the Bible really mentions it as the Great Tribulation, but as in the last three and a half years of the seven years, right?
1: That's correct. Because what, how, what, what the Bible puts forward as the scenario is that this Antichrist figure, this this benevolent, this pseudo-benevolent, looks like a great guy, looks like he's got answers and solutions to all kinds of things. Uh, he brings a sense of calm and peace. He's able to establish uh, a, a peace within the Middle East. I mean, it, it's like he comes out of chaos and brings order. Uh, and, and we don't have time to get into all of that, but but just to put it out there, that's what the Bible teaches: is that He's going right. to show up. So the first three and a half years appears to be a happy thing. It's as if the right. world has just come out of some sort of, you know, calamity wherein now we have the solutions. But what His solution is, is to unify the globe as to one uh, and, and become one giant universal nation state without separate and distinct uh, states anymore just there's no more borders so to speak i mean there are nations we will always have this but but he seems to implement a connected world and and not since ever in the history uh, as we know it has the world except way back in the beginning been a unified uh planet there's always been the different countries nations tribes tongues what the Bible is is revealing, and what is extraordinary about what the Bible reveals, especially in the Book of Revelation, is that John was was given uh, insight into the final uh, years of human history, and he predicted that the world would emerge into one connected world, and and that's never ever been possible, ever, until now. The rise of artificial intelligence, the uh, the the uh, the implementation of the worldwide internet, you know, everything is done in 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 digits and ones and zeros. Uh, the whole world, you know, is uh, facial re- recognition. You know, global surveillance. Uh, the the planet is surrounded by thousands of, of satellites beaming down uh, imagery and, and 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 information. I mean, the whole world. The framework for what the scenario that the Bible has put in place is already, uh, has put forth, would be uh, at the end of time, is already in place. That's what we see. This is what we've seen emerge since the middle of the 80s, a planet that has now become completely connected. Well, the Bible predicted that this would be the scenario. These frameworks, these constructs, if you will— Uh, the matrix of the antichrist the the foundation of it has already been laid and and the framework or the skeleton of it is already connected that's why what's very interesting and what we're witnessing here in the global pandemic of 2020 is is uh you know i'll refer you you can go google this but go go to the world economic Forum. And go uh, Google that and go see what they talked about at the beginning of January 2020 and how they have used this uh, this turmoil that we're under, this virus that's flooding the world. They're using it as, as a launching pad, their own words. You can go look it up. And they're using words like this is, this is time for the new normal. Everybody's talking about this new normal. They're also talking about a global reset. They want that that's mm. their their words, not mine. They're calling it a global reset. They're saying this is the best opportunity that we have ever had to actually reset the world. That's what they're trying to do. Now whether they are you know, these devious Luciferians in the corner or in the backyard on full moons killing chickens or not, I have no idea. But either way, <laughs> either right. way, these are evil people being influenced by evil spirits and they are whether they realize it or not they are being pushed forward into this type of uh, deceived and delusional thinking by spirits that are that are more ancient than the universe itself i mean this is this is this is it i mean we're headed into quite possibly the final theater the final arena where things are being contested and this is what john seems to be putting forth by the language that he's talking about and and like we said the first three and a half years of the final seven years of human history, according to the scripture will be a time of what appears to be prosperity and peace and happiness for 99% of the world, (laughs) you know, but, but in essence it's really a time uh, that is setting up the final three and a half years. Now I said all that to say, I think that's what we're seeing in verse four when John then draws our attention to the morning. And when you get into the, um, the meaning of the word morning, it's daybreak, the, the time between three o'clock and the daybreak, or six o'clock in the morning. The fact that midnight to six uh, is the six hours, right? But when you get to three o'clock in the morning, which is John is referencing, it's right in the middle. That's an, that's, a, that's an interesting thing you know, that we pay attention to because that's when the whole thing shifts in John's historical account. It's in the middle that we now see Jesus standing on the shore. Right. Verse four. But when the morning was now come, Jesus is standing on the shore. And we talked about that being a, a reference as we follow the prophetic pattern as he's laying out this story to Jesus in Revelation chapter five, standing and taking the seven seals and the book out of the hand of the father on the throne. He's about to uh, or has been loosing the seven seals. It be- It begins in the middle of the tribulation period. And it gives way to what is called the Great Tribulation period. When Christ begins to open the seals, we have we have come to the Great Tribulation. Now, when you we ain't got time to go way down this road, but when you come to the end of the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials, it gives way to what they call the three woes, uh, and those three woes are the final outpouring of the wrath of God. Whether it's the in between the sixth and the seventh seal. The, seventh, or the sixth and the seventh trumpet, or the sixth and the seventh vial. It's in there that, that it shifts from just being tribulation to great tribulation to just before the wrath of God is poured out. And so this is what we see. We see Jesus in between somewhere, three and six o'clock in the morning, in the middle of the night. And I think what we're witnessing here is that transition. And that's what John is alerting us to at a very deep level
0: brother. But, Brother Marty, and also following the line of what we're talking about, the shift that's going to take place, right, at that midpoint, Jesus in Matthew 24:15 tells us, when you therefore sh- shall see the abomination of desolation, right, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso read it, let him understand. And we believe that this is going to happen. I believe the Bible references after forty-two months, right? He will stand, yeah. right? And then, and then you keep reading uh, down to verse twenty-one, and that's when the that's when Jesus says, "Then shall be great tribulation."
1: Yes, that's so, that's when he right? Great tribulation, right? Exactly. Such as the world is not seen, right? Neither yes. will see again, and, and except those days be cut short, he said, And none of no flesh would be saved. But then he, he says what, Brother Jeremy? Uh, then shall, but for the elect's sake, right? For yes, the
0: elect. for the elect's
1: Right.
0: It says, so, it says, for he shall be great since it was since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor never, ev- nor ever shall be. But yes. And,
1: and then what's the next verse?
0: And the next verse uh, says, except those days should be shortened. There shall be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened.
1: The Bible puts forth, and we'll see as we continue in our study today, that there will be a remnant that is remaining. Paul revealed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he said, I think it's around verse 50 or so, where he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. He said, We shall not all die. We shall not all sleep, he said, but we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, he says, when Jesus returns. So there is a remnant that will endure just prior to the full outpouring of the wrath of God. He will come to rescue his, his church. But there will be those who go ahead of us, who have suffered and died during this tribulation period. And there are those uh, who are called the elect. A very interesting group, which we don't have time to get into that today, but just put it out there and study it, what Brother Jeremy was just reading. The elect. You know, the elect uh, are those who have endured till the end. Those who have, who have, well, I want to be part of the elect. I don't know, man. I mean, it's an intense thing that's coming. You know, uh, how right. we survive is by the miracle working power of God. That's the only way we're going to be able to get through this. What's coming right. is not is not a happy thing, but it is for the saints of God because they understand And and this is one of the things we've been trying to put forward that that I really have a sense of the Holy Spirit, especially here in this country and amongst God's children who love God, is that we need to begin to prepare ourselves for what the Scripture actually reveals is coming. To those of you who don't really understand him at that level uh, yet, uh, we encourage you to prayerfully seek God over these things. Rather than breeding a fear, what it begins to do is to cause us to really be introspective, to really begin to search our hearts, to really begin to draw near to him, and to really find out what it is that we really say uh, that we believe, whether we actually believe it or not. Because the Bible speaks of a culmination. It talks of an end and a new beginning. And the question is, do you really believe that? Do I really believe that? And if I do, then I'm going to respond in a certain way. I'm going to respond by pressing into him. And this is his gift. Each subsequent correct choice that we make spiritually uh, includes within that choice the strength to take another step forward in the deeper things of God. There is no other way. You cannot simply pick up a prophecy book and run to the end of it and think you've mastered it all. That ain't going to happen. You can't even pick up the word of God and do that, right? It's a step-by-step process, but one that will be accelerated based on our ability to be as brutally honest with our God before our God concerning ourselves in the privacy of our own relationship with him and allow him to bring us forward. We're only limited by the territory that we're unwilling to relinquish to the spirit of God in order to form Christ within us in those parts that we give to him. And and so that's for another day. So listen, here we are. He's standing on the shore, and we talked about that being a a type of the loosing of the seal. Mm -hmm. And the disciples know it not as being an indication that things will be transpiring in our time where it will it will be it will not be easily or readily apparent to the to the believer that God is actually in control yeah. everything that that we say we believe is about to be tested everything everything it's already begun it's already happening now jesus goes on in verse 5 i want to hurry here He then asks them the question based on the things we're discussing. He puts out this question. It's the first time he speaks to them during this scenario we're talking about. And he asks them in verse 5. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy?
0: Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No.
1: They answered him, No. So again, remember, they've been fishing all night. They catch nothing. We've already talked about what that's like and what that means, what that's symbolically referencing. So Jesus begins in the fifth verse by telling us, after John sets the, the scenario, he begins to tell us, he says, children, have you any meat? They answered him, no. Notice how he addresses them first as children. And we talked about that in our previous podcast. The word children in, in the in the Greek literally means two things. It's a dual nature children means to be mature but also to be immature it 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 <laughs> it's revealing that at this time during what we're talking about the church is going to be made up of of both or or really it's going to have to be snapped back into an understanding when he calls them children what he's literally saying to them is yes, you are my mature bride. Yes, this is my the last days, but you are immature in your understanding of what's actually taking place. And and what's <laughs> what's proof of the fact that you're immature is that you've been fishing on the Sea of Tiberias all night and you have caught nothing. And 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 this proves that your understanding on on what fishing in the midnight hour is all about is immature <laughs> oh my goodness i need i need months <laughs> to go from these places <laughs> i'm serious <laughs> this challenges convention you know i mean this this uh this flies in the face of of established pastoral concepts evangelistic modes of thinking i mean this this you're actually telling me in the midnight hour i'm not supposed to be fishing no what i'm telling you is what the lord is revealing he's saying that a radical shift in our understanding is going to have to take place he's saying to them children yes you've you've reached this point you're a mature believer but up under this stress and this this imposed satanic darkness represented by the Sea of Tiberias that you're fishing under and, and and you're still fishing and you're not catching anything. It is proof that you are immature in the understanding of what's actually happening. And I need to correct you because the first thing that he says when his voice comes into this story is he addresses both their maturity and their immaturity. And as we talked about in in, in the in the past podcast leading up to this one um, it carries with it a correction without impunity fancy words i know but it literally means that that he's 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 chastening us right that's what he's saying to them he's chastening their understanding he's correcting them without judging them that's how god receives his children he will correct you he will he will bring that you know that correction to you but he's not going to destroy you because you're his child the world isn't benefited with that kind of of, uh, of correction they're going to be corrected all right because they're rebellious and they refuse to listen but his children listen but he also in this in this time is is trying to communicate by the way that he addresses them and John points this out in verse 5 by by noting it for us <clears throat> that it's going that a that a necessary correction is going to have to be brought forth for his leadership and for his church. You're fishing on the Sea of Tiberias catching nothing, and the reason you're catching nothing is because you're immature in your understanding of where the fish actually are and where your attention needs to be uh, focused. And he goes on to say, they're on the right hand side of the boat. That's where the fish really are. We'll get there in a second. So he he addresses them in that way. And this alerts us to let us know that all of us are going to come up under this. All of us. The Holy Spirit is now beginning to reveal to us just how much we haven't really understood. But we understand. We're beginning to understand,
2: right?
0: Anybody got something to say? You know, our methods here in America in, the, uh, in preaching the gospel, we, we've gone so far far out. Now the evangelist brings a couple rock groups or hip-hop artists to right before <laughs> and, and gathers everybody and then throws the nets. You know, it, it's going to go beyond filling stadiums or, or making your church cool. You know, uh, what we're speaking about here is something more deeper. We're not telling you go and... and you're gonna to have to change your method in terms of a new way to reach out. No, 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 no. It's understanding the times, and like you said, brother Marty, where the fish are at. See, we, yeah. right now the people, the evangelists, you know, they're stuck in their homes, so they got no no places to go preach and so forth, and or, or whatever. The shepherds are want They want to open their churches, and and we want to go back to the same. For what? To go back to the same routine and to continue to do things the same way we've done it. No, no. Something new is coming out of this, you know? Yeah. And, and and we're going to begin to understand that those methods and these things that we're doing are going to bring nothing. We have Very no good fish. Point.
1: That's an excellent so. point. And, and again, the methods, right? Like we're going to go back, everything's going to open up, it's going to be like it was before. No. That's why he brings correction, right? Cause they do go back. Yeah. I'm going fishing. That's what he said. Yeah. And we'll go with right. you. And like you pointed out a few podcasts ago, these were expert fishermen. These weren't, you yeah. know, people like me. I mean, I, I actually like end up hooking myself when I cast a line, you know I mean? I don't know how to fish. <laughs> <laughs> these, right weren't people... <laughs> these weren't people like that. Their whole life was wrapped up in fishing. And so that is the danger that's being revealed here to by John to us through how the Lord revealed himself, is that in this time, we cannot rely on convention. We cannot rely on what we've always known to this point. We're going to need to hear the voice of Jesus to tell us specifically what to do. He will take... Mm-hmm. That which he has formed in us, children, right? The mature part of us, and he will bring correction to the immature part of us so that we can be fruitful in the midnight hour between three and six o'clock in the morning, just prior to his coming, prior to the sun rising. Because he's on the way. The sun is about to rise, but it's going to be dark before the sun, darkest before the sun rises. And so that's what he's Mm -hmm. saying to them and what you said also so also,
2: beautiful. also brother marty uh the idea that they are fishing the sea of tiberias lends to the fact that they are entrenched with this fallen church to to what extent you know you know we don't know but it, it does speak of uh of an end time church and and even preachers will be entrenched with the end time system and 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 trying to uh Maybe at, at best, maybe there are preachers that do see the condition of the church and, and the way it's going. Maybe they say, you know what, I'm going to go accept an invitation to this denominational church or, or, or that place or that place and bring revival and hopefully you know, a fire will start and, 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 and they'll turn back. And what the Lord is, I guess, telling us through this is that, no, the, this, this fallen church system, and the way they do things, the way they've done things with with the mega churches, the way of reaching souls uh it's beyond healing, yes, it's beyond healing like as as the prophet Jeremiah said concerning Babylon, she's beyond healing, she can't be healed anymore right you know? so uh, that's that's what we're seeing here is that they're fishing in a place where God has moved out of he's not there. That's good. Mhm right it, it's a church that is choosing the world so god has to uh uh you know see him see make his way out right so yeah. that's and, and again that's a good here. point
1: yeah that's a good point because because in essence we're talking prophetically now people so <laughs> don't get lost in what we're saying this is this is prophecy right before our eyes recorded and hidden in the layers beneath the history that's being recorded is a profound uh prophetic insight and and that's an excellent point uh, uh about uh, about bringing them bringing them off the sea right because that's what ends up happening he's calling to them because he's about to make them come off the sea and and that's symbol symbolic and he's going to take the fish out of the sea it's at midnight it's just before the daybreak this is all symbolic language in the historical story of how Jesus chose to reveal himself this third time to his disciples. John writes this way. This is the writer of the book of revelation. Remember that. And so what we're seeing here is such an incredible thing. If you have eyes to see, but, but you're right, brother, for now, he's calling the, this, this, the timing of this is, is paramount to our understanding because the conclusion of the matter is, is they come to shore. And they eat with Jesus, which is a figure and a type of the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we'll get to in a second here. So it's important what you said, you know, that we're going to have to come out of the system. We're going to come off the sea and and we're going to have to be brought uh, to the shore, which is it speaks of intensity. So he addresses them as children, uh, both mature and immature. Uh, And then he asks them a rhetorical question in verse five. Do you have any meat? And, and we discuss that, right? It's a rhetorical question. He and, and whenever the Lord or the Spirit of God will place a thought in our mind from the Spirit, it's intended uh, to 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 gender a, a reflection to get us to meditate. Hmm. You're right. I haven't caught anything. <laughs> you know, he wants he wants us to uh, to the Spirit when he begins to talk to us he'll usually talk to us by posing a question to us. And
2: yeah. the
1: question is always intended uh, to bring us to the proper conclusion, right? He wants us to come up with the right answer, which is what they did. They came up and they said, no, we ain't caught nothing. Like, oh, you know, no, we haven't. You know, we haven't caught anything. And and And, you know, it's interesting because because in it, if you can see it, is that the question, which which brings them to the conclusion, it shows the working of the spirit in our hearts. Because th- these are fishermen, right? And fishermen are proud. I don't know if any mm-hmm. of you have ever seen that show on on uh, on the Discovery Channel where those guys go out and and they catch all those crabs in Alaska and the Bering Sea. I mean, it's they're crazy. always. Comp- Yeah, 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 that's the the deadliest, well, this is one of the deadliest fishing trips that anyone's ever been on (laughs) that we're talking about, (laughs) but but fishermen, man, they're, they're you know, they're proud of it, that's why when you watch that show, they're always talking about which boat caught the most fish and stuff like that, but what we see here is something beautiful, because they didn't say, they could have said, no, not yet, (laughs) you know, we haven't caught anything yet, but we're gonna, you know, they didn't say any of that. So it sees, it, we see quick
2: progression
1: to the obvious. Okay, something something's obviously being told to us here, and the working of the Spirit at this time will bring us from not only being just uh, mature believers with immature understanding. We're going to be fully mature. Not only are we have we have we grown in the Lord, but we've also grown in our perception and our ability to hear His voice and to come to the proper conclusions, which is what they did, which is going to be vital. Their answer was no, and understand that 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 that, that, that the no should produce an awareness uh, that we're not doing something correctly, which, impl- okay. which is which is something revealing to us. Right between the midnight and the daybreak, it's revealing to us that we're going to have to be very precise about what we do, and it must be with uh, the leading and the guiding of the Spirit. What I love about this is that Jesus shows up. And, and doesn't just call them out on it, man. He, he leads them to their own conclusion. He will lead you and guide you into all the truth. That's the work of the Spirit. And, and our reliance upon the voice of the Spirit at this midnight hour until the daybreak is absolutely vital to doing the correct thing that God is calling both
0: leadership and the church to
1: in these dark times.
0: Brother Marty, brother, uh, I think it's incredible um, what the disciples were doing throughout the night. They were toiling, yeah. and there's a a, a con- misconception in the church. We think just because we are toiling, doing God's work, you know, whatever it is, you know, feeding the homeless, we've done that, you know, and all those yeah. things. We 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 think that that's we're good because we're doing that, and what the Holy Spirit was bringing me is that when 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 Jesus speaks to the seven churches in in the book of Revelation, one thing that is prevalent is that he tells them all, "I know thy works, I yeah. know thy works, I, I know thy toil." But to some, it's to bring correction because he said, "You do this, you do that, or you don't do this and that, but you've lost this or you need this." You get what I'm saying? And so many times we can get this this concept, but, well, I'm tolling, I'm like, we got to go evangelize and we have to go do this. Yes. As we've said, again, we're not saying that it's wrong to evangelize, that we're not going to do that. But there is a time, right, where if we're not careful, we're going to be fishing and we're not going to be catching nothing.
2: (laughs) Right. You know,
0: until... We understand that we need to fish on the right side of the net according to the times and how God reveals that. But I just thought that was interesting that Jesus speaks to the seven churches and to all of them. He's telling them when he says, I know thy works, I know thy toils. That's what the yes. disciples were doing the whole night, toiling.
1: Toiling without fruit, right? Because what we're talking yes. about here as well, as we, as we follow the rest of the chapter, and those of you who are following along, I'm sure you've read ahead by now, you'll see that they end up on the shore. And they end up on the shore with so many fish, uh, you know, that that they caught at the direction of, of the Lord. But the point is, is that we, what He's trying to also show us, is that that all of us have to show up with with something when we get to heaven, right? Because that's what the shore is. That's where Jesus is off of the sea. He's expecting us to have fruit. And, and 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 at this time it's interesting because if this scenario is true and the pattern is holding out as we understand prophetic scripture just on its surface that you that you study through the prophets and the writings and all those kinds of things book of revelation Thessalonians second peter all these probably, you know, Matthew 24 25 all that Luke 21 Mark 13 all the prophets Isaiah Jeremiah Ezekiel Daniel I and mean, you go through all that and there's a plain schematic that emerges, a plain picture, an orthodox view of prophecy. But on the deeper level, the testimony of Jesus being the spirit of prophecy, that's why we're we're applying that as long as it stays consistent with what's plainly revealed in the prophetic scripture, which it, which it is. And with that in mind, you know, what, what, what he's leading them to is he's bringing them to the shore. But it's very interesting because he could have just simply called them off the sea, but he didn't he wants them to come to him bearing fruit everyone mm. is going to mm. give an account everyone but what's what's encouraging to me is that we're not left to what you were just talking about brother Jeremy our own toil our own efforts especially in the last in time we're mm-hmm. not we've never been meant to be left to our own efforts and our own toil to begin with but even much more now because we must come before him bearing fruit, having toiled with production, fruitfulness, and he's the one who guides and directs. So he asks them that question, have you any meat, verse 5. And we talked about that, right? We talked about meat, you know, based on the flow yeah. of the concealed revelation that we're talking about there. It's more than just natural meat. He, He's asking them something that John records. Can you read that really quick to us, brother, in John chapter 4, verse 34? Turn over. Because yes. John, John's using these specific words now. And, and, and what does he say about meat as we covered a few podcasts ago? But I think it's pertinent to
0: remind ourselves here. He says, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his works. And to finish
1: his work. So when John says Jesus asks his disciples, "Do you have any meat?" it carries with it this sense comparing scripture with scripture at this time, because the issue is 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 producing a harvest, right? Because that's what he goes on in John chapter four to talk about. Don't say that the harvest is four months off because open your eyes now and look for the fields are white for harvest already, right? I mean, he's talking about end of the world kind of stuff here in John chapter 4. And it's the same here. Have you any meat? He's asking them in that sense, like John 34 says, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of God. So he's implying that what you've been doing all night is not my will. You've been fishing in the Sea of Tiberias. But it's not my will that you do that. My will, and he goes on to say in verse 6, is that you put your net on the right side of the boat, and that's where the fish are.
2: Mm.
1: And so so the meat represents the will of God. And what this is teaching us is the focus that Jesus is beginning to draw their attention to and subsequently ours in our time. Uh, it reaches a powerful pointed insight. The focus that he's talking to them about, it's intended to convey that (laughs) the fishing on the sea, you know, as a general toil or labor, it is, and especially within the midnight and uh, hour just before the daybreak, it's not the will of God to be doing it now, he says. It's not meat. You don't have meat because you're not in the will of God. This is final end time things he's telling them. And the will of God, he he goes on to say, is now gathering the fish, like you said, Brother Jeremy, on the right side of the boat. And and it's really intense because it it speaks of leadership's uh, responsibility to search for the fish of the Lord. The Lord is directing him where the fish are. So what is this telling us? It's quite conceivably revealing to us that between midnight and the daybreak, Again, metaphorically speaking here of end time things and the coming of the Lord, that strategically speaking, the shift begins to turn to to the final harvest, to the to the end of the world uh fish that are meant and intended to be caught. And and that that don't waste your time out there, like Brother Fernando was talking about, in the system or in the system of this world, or in the state-sanctioned or global-sanctioned sea, where notice nobody was bothering them while they fished on the sea. So it's an intense, another little avenue we could look at. But man, but you know, Jesus shows up immediately just before the daybreak and begins to tell them, your attention is in the wrong place. I want you to begin to focus on my fish, and I know where they're at. The leadership.
2: And right. I think. I think, yeah, I think it also speaks of him turning his attention also also to the Jewish people. A transition is taking place, um, where where, you know, like like, it happened in the days of of the Apostle Paul, right? Where it seemed yeah. as though the question was raised, you know, by the Romans, "Hey, what about the Jews?" And he said right. that his his prayer was to God uh, for Israel. He says. He says that they might be saved. He says, "For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge." Right. Yes. And, and the same could be said of of when when the disciples are fishing in the Sea of Tiberias. It's like you're fishing in the place, you have zeal, but you're not doing it according to knowledge. Yes. Don't you don't fully understand what I'm doing right now? Right. It says, mm-hmm. "For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness," And this is speaking of of the apostate church and going about and and what we're speaking about here prophetically. But Paul was speaking then of the Jews to establish their own righteousness. It says they have gone to establish their own righteousness. They're building something up. The Lord tells Paul or Paul tells the Romans that the Jews have gone to establish or build something up, just like in the Tower of Babel. But but here is a religious system that the Jews were building up. Right. And and, yeah. and 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 what we're talking about today prophetically with the Sea of Tiberias, there is a church false system that has been built built up or established, but not according to God's righteousness. So it's almost like God says, it's like the Apostle Paul, you know, uh, is sent to the Gentiles, and and it, it, it's almost like the Lord is saying, look, in the last days, the same is going to happen. The the church world is going to go mad they're going to establish their own church system and we have yeah. to turn away from it if that makes sense
1: yeah it does and and it doesn't it does in no way does that does that change somebody's hitting their microphone with something right now so be careful with that so, listen that doesn't change anything uh and, and as a matter of fact that that is that is also a component of this cuz you're right the scripture tells us that uh it will you know the attention of the lord Definitely will be toward Israel. Israel will be saved. You know, there's a movement about today that God is forsaking His people, and and you know you run from those people <laughs> who say those things because that isn't right. true. Uh, he 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 has a he has an everlasting covenant with them, and he will there will be a third of them brought through the fire if you read Zechariah. There will there will be all Israel will be saved. Those that are saved is considered Israel, and you're right. But uh and I think we see a hint of that as we go along in the story. It's both, you know, because they're both in the sea, but but there is an end to the time of the Gentiles, and I think that's what you're referencing, is that is that yes. you know he has right. his ship his his fish right, and and he's
2: going to save the mer- fish. It's the merging of the two. It's the merging of the two in the end times.
1: Absolutely it is, and that's what we see in the flow and the pattern of the book of Revelation, and I, and I don't want to overwhelm people that aren't familiar with these scriptures, but go read uh, the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation. What you'll find there is there comes a ceiling of of 144,000 uh, of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's symbolic, but it's, it's a ceiling of Israel. And then you have, after that in verse 9, um, an innumerable multitude, both simultaneously existing, both the Jew and the Gentile, and they will be sealed and preserved and brought to the shore. So both components are here, and does no violence to what we're, what we're saying. But the keys and the clues are in verse 6, right? Again, after asking them, do you have any meat? And they say, no, we don't. You know, obviously, he was trying to say, you're not in my will. That's why you're not catching and the conditions of the end times are such that you won't be able to anymore. But there are specific fish in the sea that I know who they are. I know where they're at. And this language as we go forth in the historical account here is symbolic of what unfolds in the book of Revelation. It's quite extraordinary. So in verse six, he says, cast the net on the right side of the ship, you know, "and, and you will find. And they cast therefore now and they were not able to draw it for the multitude of the fish so he it says first of all it says uh, that he said to them right verse 6 and he said to them that represents the leadership they're the leaders right and, and it represents the leaders in our in our time he he says to them cast the net and like we talked about okay. before in Matthew in Matthew thir- 13 uh verse 47 through 51 if you remember we talked about that um, in the parable of the end of time, he likens the kingdom of heaven to a net. And that's how John's writing here. So in essence, he's telling the leadership, they're now entering into the will of heaven, this net, this final net. Because the parable of the net or the catching, let's take a look at that real quick. Brother Jeremy Turner over to Matthew 13. I just assume people remember, but you know, can't assume anything. Take a look at Matthew 13, uh, I think it's 13, let me see, 13, take a look at, it. and remember the symbolic language here, so we, you can understand a little better what we're saying, we're using scripture to interpret scripture now, look at how how the Lord talks about the net, and the kingdom of heaven, and the fish, and so forth, and so on, could you read us uh, verse uh, 47, and uh, through
0: through 49, yes, again, and the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just.
1: Now remember what Brother Jeremy just read, and now listen to this in John 21, 6. And he said unto them, uh, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. This is symbolic language. This This is scripture interpreting scripture. So we're not doing violence here when we say that the casting of the net is referencing the end of the world. Because Jesus said it in his parable here. That That the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net in verse forty seven right Matthew thirteen, and they cast it into the sea, right, and then they gather all these fish, and then they draw it to the shore that's what we're about to see happen in in the balance of john chapter twenty one They're casting a net into the sea, they get a net so full, and then when we get to the end of the bottom of the of the of the verses here, they're drawing it to the shore. This is very symbolic language, and it's, it's referencing the end of the world. That is what John is concealing in this historical narrative. And he says, you know, this is so hard to just talk about, you know, but, I mean, he's literally saying this is the third appearance of the resurrected Christ, and this is how he came to us. So it's, even, it's beyond John's depth. It's Jesus, how he spoke and what he was implementing right. in the scripture by how he chose to reveal himself it's so incredible right i mean it really is and and so what do we see we know that the harvest is the end of the world right and that and and notice what it says they cast the net on the right hand side of the ship this is we ain't got time to rehearse all this stuff again but remember what we talked about that that when when God points out the right hand side remember this the right hand side is the right is the right hand of fellowship the right hand side is where Jesus is seated right sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool it's the right hand side he goes up to the right hand of the father sitting on the throne and takes the book with the seven seals you know he separates the sheep from the goats the goats go to the left hand side the sheep go to the right hand side this is what we're seeing here when Jesus says, cast the net, which is a type of the kingdom of heaven, on the right side, he's speaking so incredibly deep here, <laughs> beyond the certain level, because this story is about the end of the world. That's really, it's, it's, it's a historical story that has implication for our times, upon whom the ends of the world have come. And so the fact that he's, he's casting the net on the right side should alert our prophetic antenna to say, oh my gosh, this is this is about the end of the world. And he's now turning their attention toward his fish. We know they're his fish because they're on the right side, right? That's where all things heaven occur on the right side. And, and he says, there you're going to find. In other words, what he's now beginning to do is he's implementing the process of beginning to take his fish out of the sea that brother, Fernando was describing is the system is the fallen compromised system is the antichrist beast system. He's, he's now initiating the process. It's begun. It's a process obviously here. And then he's talking about how, how there, it fills the net so great that there, that there's a multitude of fish and they're not able to bring it into the ship. Why? Because they're they're not gonna they're not gonna be a harvest that remains, the ship being a type of the ministry, so to speak, right? The churches, whatever you wanna call it, man. I mean it's 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 not that kind of harvest. It's a harvest that's gonna come and be dragged to the shore. That's heaven. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord.
0: So then Brother Marty- we got to- it, yeah, go ahead, brother. <laughs> it, is there is there a reference there too when it speaks that when they cast down the net they had you know many fish of all kinds, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, is that also a reference too about the marriage and and the son when uh, he goes to go to the byways highways, right? And yeah, that's a good one. You mean in the
1: par- You're talking about the parable in Matthew
0: thirteen that you read? Yes, it's yeah, in Matthew. Okay.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But but in that in that particular catch, remember how there was good and bad fish in the net, right? So yeah, uh, right. But 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 in this particular catch, John doesn't focus on that. He just simply focuses on these hundred and fifty three fish. That's what uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow.
0: Ooh. I mean, we've been Ooh.
1: we've
0: been going to yeah. that <laughs> <I mean,
1: we, laughs> I mean, because could... It's specific, right? It's specific. But let's see if we can get through verse 7 here real quick. Now, now, after they catch these fish, something interesting happens. It's like a little bit of a a shift. Suddenly, John, the disciple that Jesus loves, we know that's John, right? He now says to the apostle Peter, uh, it's the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. You know what's interesting about this is, is it is it. It, and again we're talking about the time between three o'clock in the morning and the daybreak, right? This is the tribulation. This is the great tribulation we're talking about. John knows the hand of God. The book of Daniel tells us that in the end there will be there will be his servants, his people, and amongst his true church they're called the wise Daniel chapter eleven. you can read it beginning in verse thirty three this This group of people who understand what's actually happening. And I see a veiled reference to that right here in that the disciple whom Jesus loves now begins to instruct Peter about what actually is taking place here. He says, it's the Lord. So Peter's being instructed. It's, it, it's like that. And, and what's really interesting, if you want to dig even deeper, is you see these two same players, you know, at, at, the, most, at the most incredible times in, in Bible history. One of them being the Last Supper, right? If you go and read in John chapter 13 about the Last Supper, what you'll see there is that a, an Antichrist figure is revealed. You know, he's a type of the Antichrist. He's the only other human that you can read about in the scripture except for the Antichrist himself who will become possessed by Satan himself. It was Judas. And Jesus had just revealed at the Last Supper that, uh, <clears throat> that one was going to betray him. None of them knew who it was. And then it was Peter who spoke to John, who was closest to Jesus, resting his head on his, on his, on his heart, on Jesus' heart there on his chest. He motioned, Peter motions to John and says, ask him who it is that's going to betray him. And, and then John gets the privileged information from the Lord as to who the actual betrayer was. Judas being a type of the Antichrist. This is figuring and and foreshadowing the end-time church because there is a group, uh, that beloved church at the end, we will, they will have the Antichrist revealed to them and just as John did at the Passover. And so it's interesting here that when this is happening, when this process of drawing the ship, the the fish out of the sea is happening, John understands. The disciple that Jesus loves, verse 7, he understands, and he's able to instruct Peter just like he did at the Last Supper. He's now instructing Peter, uh, this is it. It's begun. It's almost over, right? I mean, we're about to take these fish out of the sea and meet Jesus on the shore and have something to eat. (laughs) The marriage supper of the Lamb is what that is. And, so he's sitting there and he's able to instruct him but i want to show you something very interesting here that, that caught my attention because it says therefore that disciple verse 7 21, 7 that jesus loved said to peter it is the lord and then it says now when simon peter heard that it was the lord he gird his fisher coat unto him because he was naked he wasn't literally naked he was just like in his undershirt and and his boxers man however you want to say it. <laughs> i mean it's just that's really what it is it's not he was completely naked it just <laughs> means he didn't have a cover and he's just kind of in his shorts and his in his t-shirt fishing but but it says now when simon peter heard that it was the lord he gird his fisher's coat unto him for he was naked and he cast himself into the sea what an unusual thing to do he swam to the shore right but listen what's interesting and remember everything in the scripture is detail and when you uh, pay uh, pay attention to detail you will see incredible insight now listen under uh, based on everything we've been talking about now up to this point and again i encourage those of you when you're you're not used to this kind of exploration of scripture take your time and really walk through this series we're, we're in our 14th hour you know of, of this series And there's so much revelation and so much principle of interpretation that you will glean from just in these last two weeks. So we encourage you to go back and listen. And don't think just because you've heard the the podcast that you've
2: actually
1: (laughs) heard everything there is to hear. Because there's a lot packed into these little hour and a half sessions we have. Now listen, uh, notice how he he reveals uh, what's actually happening. But he calls him Peter, right, in verse 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. But then he transitions from calling him Peter to once again calling him Simon Peter. When he hears it's the Lord, he girds his fisher coat upon him. Why does he do that? And these are the kinds of things that we need to pay attention to, because the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to us. Now, for one thing, Peter is is representative of the church as a whole, and, and and because he's the rock, right? That's what Jesus said in Matthew sixteen. Upon this rock, behold, thou art Peter. He called him, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he calls him Peter at, at, at that moment, but then he calls him Simon Peter. And and when he hears, it's the Lord. So what's re- being revealed is what Brother Fernando alluded to earlier by the Spirit, really, uh, about attention being paid to the Jews. Because what we see is that we have now Simon, which is his Jewish name, and then Peter, which is his Gentile name, hearing that it's the Lord. That's what you were talking about, brother, uh, that, that the Jews also would be saved. And that That's good. what in, right? So we have but why he's presented as Peter first before he's called Simon Peter again in verse seven is because the two are one. And and what's about to happen is going to require faith. And and and, and faith is what the church is built on. Now, <laughs> listen to this. So he calls him Simon Peter. Because Simon's his Jewish name, Peter's his Gentile name, and 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 this really speaks of 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 both the Jew and the Gentile becoming one uh, in this tribulation, great tribulation period. When he heard that it was the Lord, that both will have a revelation, right? They'll be instructed into this. It's a revelation of the times. He hears it's the Lord. It's understanding. It's all that. But then it draws our attention to his fisherman's coat, which we'll deal with in a second here. But it, but then John throws in such an unusual thing. I mean, it's just unusual. He calls him Peter, then he calls him Simon Peter, then he, then he, then he draws our attention to his coat, and then he talks about him being naked. <laughs> this is, do you understand what we're saying? You know, we're, we're this is, this is, this is detail. And whenever you see detail, don't just read over it for the serious student now. Take your time and meditate and pray. Now, listen, we address the Peter representing upon this rock. It's faith. He's talking about the church as a whole. Then he identifies both Jew and Gentile. They hear that it's the Lord. That's that's revelation of the time and what's actually happening. And And then it draws our attention to his coat and like a post. Addendum to the fact is to let us know that he was naked. I think what John is revealing there in the fact that he's naked or uncovered, it it speaks of the intensity of the midnight hour to the daybreak hour. Because they were fishing with such intensity or experiencing this scene on the sea with such intensity that it literally stripped him bare you know i mean all he had was was his you know his modest clothing his t-shirt and his 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 shorts on man i mean it, it, it to me it reveals an intensity of 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 suffering and 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 the shedding of so much you know it, it, we're going to be reduced down <laughs> to to this bare uh state but listen but but once the understanding comes right he casts himself into the sea. now, the sea we know is the sea of Tiberias, and this is a very difficult thing to process but But we know that the Bible speaks of those that will go on ahead of us during this tribulation period that a persecution is coming. And so in many ways, casting one into the sea or plunging into the water, it speaks of baptism. It's a death that's occurring here. And he's going to arrive at the shore before us. These are the martyrs that we were talking about yesterday. If you can see it, these are the fifth seal martyrs of Revelation chapter 6, those that will be martyred for their faith and we see symbolically here as john is writing it and recording it a plunging into the sea of both jew and gentile the one church it's a faith act remember he calls him peter first then he splits him in two and calls him simon peter and 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 then and then he girts his fisher's coat around him This casting into the sea it's like a baptism it speaks of a death and a resurrection, when he gets to the shore where Jesus is, that's like your resurrection. They're going to go ahead of us. The martyrs go ahead of us. And and this is the faith and the patience of the saints, too, all in the sea, right? Which we'll talk about in, in weeks to come. But it's a, these are the fifth seal believers. But what about the fisher's coat? Why does he tie the fisher's coat around him? It's very simple. Brother brother Jeremy would you would you turn over to Matthew chapter 22 and read verse 11 and 12 to us. You're right brother it's gotten really quiet in this presbyterian church. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and
0: when, and when the king came in to see the guest he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. He saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. It's quite possible that what we're seeing here
1: in the girding of the fisher's coat is a very symbolic thing, a gesture that was put there that, that Peter was moved to do. Because what he's doing is casting himself into the sea. And when he comes out of the ocean, he's going to be with Jesus. But what's being said here is you cannot come to Jesus in these last days and into heaven itself without your wedding garment. That's what that fisher's coat is. It's his wedding garment. You cannot appear before the Lord without your wedding garment on. When the other disciples show up in the ship, notice none of them, they're all wearing their fisher's coat. <laughs> only Peter's the one, the only one that didn't have it on. Right. But, uh, but it's this revelation of the Lord that does a transition. By design. By design.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Thoughts? <laughs>
2: no, it's, it's, uh it's, it's by design. The, the, the way that the, the scriptures. Calls them in the name that he calls them by Simon Peter. It's, it's yeah. an allusion to what will take place at the end of the age, the the the, the merging of both Jew and Gentile to make one body. You know, that's, that's right, brother. Uh, that, that's there. If you can see it, it's there and beautifully done by by the Holy Spirit, which is so yeah. amazing. Um, so absolutely, and and also the connection there to the garment. Uh, being that wedding garment that you spoke of. Yeah. uh, Again, it it fits perfectly in, um, you know, the the prophetic uh, pattern, you know, as we're leading towards that destination, right, which is uh, ultimately heaven.
1: Yes, which is represented by the shore, right? Because he makes a distinction, right, between the Sea of Tiberias and the shore where Jesus is at. And so him casting himself into the sea is a baptism it's a death it's a martyrdom it's a symbol it's a metaphoric martyrdom because that's what baptism is right we, we we die we go under the water it's symbolic of our death when we come up out of the water it's a, it's symbolic of being in the presence of the lord in our resurrected state we're told in the book of revelation the opening of the fifth seal creates a persecution that leads to martyrdom of many many and 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 yet they don't show up into heaven without their garment, right? That they, they—that's they, why he he put that garment on him. It's a symbolic of the wedding garment. That's 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 coming into the presence of the Lord as a wedding guest. <laughs> because remember, they're about to have dinner, right? He's about to feed them in verse twelve. Come and dine, right? I mean, they're about to have dinner. Now listen, what's interesting is uh, and, and we could talk about that in other days, but but just I had to put that out there because we've been trying to get to the seventh verse for for several podcasts. Okay. But now here, right? So now he's he's gone ahead. You know, our brothers are going to go ahead of us. There will be those who will go ahead and those who 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 are alive and remain. Right? That's what we see in verse 8. And and, and would you read verse 8 to his brother Jeremy? As we're bringing this yep. to a rapid conclusion,
0: <laughs> and the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes.
1: Praise God! So notice that Peter's gone ahead, but not just Peter, Simon Peter, right? It's it's both Jew and Gentile. You'll see a you'll see a fulfillment of that. In in Revelation 7, when you see the 144,000 and you see the innumerable host of the Gentile nations together, by the end of the chapter 7, you'll find them all up in heaven. They go before us. But we also have scripture revealing that there will be those who come to the end, who make it through to the end just before the wrath of God is poured out. Jesus comes and and, and they, they make it to land. They make it to shore. It's a veiled reference to that. To that catching away that rescuing of his church just before the, the the rapture so we see in verse eight the other disciples but notice again detail there's no mention of a little ship in verse three right they went forth and entered into a ship there's no mention of a little ship when, when you get to verse six and he says cast the net on the right side of the ship there's no mention of a little ship, but when we get to verse 9, here comes the disciples, and they're in a little ship. <laughs> Again, attention to detail. Uh, the little ship, it's very interesting, and and you can do this study on your own, and, and like I said, we're running out of time here, but, but when you take the extension of all the root words, it's very incredible. First of all, the word ship, as it's used here, um, extends all the way out, and one of the root words is pletho. Pletho is the Greek word; it literally means to come to the fullness of time, to have time fulfilled. It's Greek word number forty-one thirty. And so, when the other disciples come in a little ship, it's 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 referencing that time has reached its end. They have reached the end, and. And it's a little ship because it represents that when we get to the end, remember what Brother Jeremy read in Matthew 24 earlier, that the intensity of the Great Tribulation will be such that there'll never be anything like it again, Jesus said, and that the days would be cut short for the very elect, right? There's just a remnant. By the time we get to them making it to land, which isn't too far after Simon Peter casts himself into the sea, a type of the martyrdom. Things are heavily underway now. And yet the fish are being brought to the shore. We're, we're moving in that direction. And, and between the casting into the sea and the, and the disciples arriving in a little ship in verse 8, there's not very much time. He, that's why he emphasizes uh, that, that they are only 200 cubits off the shore by that time, about 100 yards. So they're very close. So that's that little season, Revelation chapter 6, of of the martyrdom to the end of time when he comes to take his church. So it's a little ship. The fullness of time has occurred. They're very close, and they're dragging the net with the fishes. Now, this is very interesting because then we come to <laughs> – well, I I wanted to say this. Who are these guys, right? I mean, they're dragging – all these, these fish, we now know that these are the fish on the right-hand side of the boat, very symbolic of God's children at the end of the world, his people. But they've come up out of the sea, and they've ensured that they bring them with them through this great tribulation, through this tribulation period, just before the break of day. The day's beginning to break now. And and they catch them, and they bring them. These are that those faithful leaders. And I want to ask you, if you're still out there and, and you're still listening, uh, are you protecting the fish? Because that's what they were doing. And, and can you hear the, Lord, the Lord's voice uh, uh, directly uh, or, 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 and directing your focus? And are you fishing specifically on the right side of the boat? This quality of leadership is what God is raising up right now amongst all his people. Whether it's you and your family, you and your neighbors, or you preacher out there who's finally waking up to the fact of where we're actually at. Are you going to be able to take those specific holy uh, fish that Jesus has now turned his attention to and ensure that you bring them all the way to the land? Oh, my goodness. That's that's another that's that's like worthy of a preaching message right there. (laughs) Because. Because that's what we're all being called to. Father, you're what? the head of your house. Grandfather, you're yeah. the head of your house. Right, uncle, you're the you're the head of your house. You know, daddy, you're the head of your house. Are are you bringing the the little fish that God has given you? Your wife, your children. Don't don't think this is just for preachers. This is what He's saying. you are your selected fish on the right side of His boat that's your responsibility are you going to bring them all the way to the land are you going to be able to bring them out of this the sea of this maddening world that we find ourselves in are you going to reach the shore that's your responsibility that's your priority i don't care how much money you make what big a car you have what kind of a university you can send your kids to if you get to land and they're not with you you haven't done a thing, our job in this time is to ensure that we take the responsibility over the very loved ones and, and 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 the the fish that belong to Jesus. our families belong to him, and we exercise that leadership to bring them forward and ensure they make it all the way <laughs> hallelujah. make it all the way right. yeah. to the land hallelujah so so here we'll see as as we close that that peter has to assist right they're gonna it's the coming together of both dimensions right but when peter's added to the mix we now have seven again and and that's very reflective of those seven angels of the seven churches right the angels he will dispatch his angels and bring them all the way in but listen uh what do they see when they get there in verse 9 as soon as they come to the land, representative of heaven, those which are alive and remain, right? They haven't jumped into the sea. There's there's not a death here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what the Holy Spirit is showing us? You have both components here. You have those that have died and gone on ahead, and then you have those that make it to land. It, it's, it's we who are alive and remain. That, that's what you're seeing here in verse 8. Shall be caught up together with them. But with the very first thing that John says when they get to the land that their attention is drawn to, as soon as they come to the land, it says in verse 9, what do they see? They see a fire of coal there and fish laid on it and bread what does this represent and 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 you can do this on your own time you can you can look at it you know in revelation six verse nine in revelation eight one through five it's speaking of the altar that's what those coals of fire are. Remember where they see the coals of fire is at land land's a type of heaven and 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 there's fish and bread. What does the fish represent? It represents the intercession of the saints that are underneath the the altar they've been praying for us right. And the bread is Christ, the two collectively interceding for us to make it all the way to land. That's why their attention's drawn there. I'll let you guys chew on that one for a while but then Jesus but then Jesus uh, amen Jesus in verse ten, then he 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 calls to them and says, "Bring up the fish which you have now caught and Simon Peter goes up and he draws the net to the land, full of great fishes, 153 of them. There were so many, yet the net was not broken. The Lord knows how to bring us home. But listen, why 153? I've read all kinds of ideas of what 153 is, but I kind of settle on, on the one I read that I thought was a pretty good uh, thing. And, and the number 153 is exact. Uh, it's exact because it's not so much all the gymnastics we can do with that specific number, but I think what's trying to be communicated here, and I like the way the brother wrote it. I don't even remember where I found it. It's just some obscure little passage in one of the books I have read. <laughs> but he said and felt like it represented, uh, if anything, in its plain sense, that it's an exact number. And, and what that's communicating, what John was trying to communicate by emphasizing the exact number, is that God knows exactly how many children he has. And when we reach that exact number, the end shall come.
2: Hundred
1: and fifty-three. right? Wow. And 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 when we're all there, we know back on the sea, the great wrath is about to be poured out. But Jesus will now come and, and will say, what, in verse 12, come and die. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Come and die. Praise God. And verse 14 says what? Can you close us with that, Brother Jeremy? Verse
0: 14. Yes. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. After that he verse was risen from the dead. Yeah, and verse 13 says what? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise.
1: That's why we know that symbolically the fish and the bread that's on the coals of fire is different than this fish and bread. He's trying to draw our attention to the intercession that's gone on that has brought us all the way home, having, having its origins in heaven on the land, on the shore, right? But here in verse 13, what we see is what the Lord has always promised. And when he returns uh, and and he brings his church to himself, he says he's going to make us to sit down, right? And he's going to come.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. He's going to come and, and minister to us. And that's what he's done in verse 13. He comes, he takes the bread, and he gives it to them and the fish likewise. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's our hope. And I know that we've been <laughs> we've been on a, quite a journey up until this point, but I pray that somehow, somewhere, what you've been inspired to consider is that we've entered the last days and that we, as a community of believers, our neighbors, our loved ones, our, our dearest children, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to encourage one another, especially as we see the day approaching. And, and our endeavor in these in these podcasts is to simply ignite a fire on the inside of all of us, that we would look for the promised coming of our Redeemer, because this world is not our home, and it's going to get worse. It's going to accelerate. Just before we went on air, I, I, I saw a video. I sent it to, to, to my brothers, Fernando and Jeremy, there. Um, they just detonated this massive bomb in Beirut, Lebanon. You know, I I don't think I've ever seen an explosion quite like that, except for an atomic bomb, you know, it was massive. And reports are still coming in that, you know, hundreds of people have have died or or been injured. 25, 30 people died as far as they know to this point, but hundreds have been injured. And they said the city's in chaos. And, And all it did was shake me in my heart to let me know, you know, the days of Noah are here. Violence has filled the earth. Men's hearts are on evil, it seems, continually. But you see, Jesus is standing on the shore. Some of you are John's out there, you're hearing it, and you say, That's the voice of the Lord. Some of us are Peter's or Simon Peter's, uh, you know, uh, and some of us are disciples helping to bring the fish in. Where, wherever we are, we're all one church and we're all one in Christ. And, and what we need more than ever, more than anything else, on on this earth is for our Lord to return, and we believe that those days are just ahead of us. And so we'll close today with those thoughts, and we pray and bless you wherever you are, and 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 we and we pray above all uh, that that you know that Jesus is right there; he's as
0: close as the mention of his name. Brother Jeremy, powerful, uh, powerful teaching this on this Tuesday. A lot to reflect on, a lot to to gather from all the things that we have read, symbolisms, and and I pray, as Brother Marty said, that you've been blessed as you've been following this series and the places that the Lord has taken us to, and I think it's very symbolic, and I think it's very tremendous that we end. With the marriage of the Lamb, amen, with God serving us, hallelujah, and uh, giving us that fish and and so forth. We pray that you've been blessed. I pray that you join us tomorrow. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And keep looking
2: up.